You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Valchunas. Eric, we've got a couple guests to talk about a theme that we haven't talked about before, volatility, and exchange-traded notes, which is not the same thing as an exchange-traded fund. What are they? Yeah, this is probably one of the most um, kind of controversial uh, power tool-esque areas of the ETP market. We covered and tri- ETP is exchange traded product, right? Yeah. So the way we classified is ETP would be the broader umbrella umbrella of everything. Within that is ETF, ETNs, and then in Europe you have ETCs. Uh, so I say ETP to cover because there are ETFs that cover VIX and there's ETNs that cover VIX. And VIX being volatility. VIX is volatility. We'll go over what that is um, for people who have heard of it, or uh, we'll define it, and then we'll talk about the products tracking it and try to get into some of the minutia without getting too technical, because this is an area that can get complicated very quickly. But it is an area that is unbelievably resilient and has a loyal, loyal fan base. And why Um, are we talking about it right now? Well, this year, VIX ETPs are flirting with record inflows and uh, record volume. And this is after a year and a half ago when XIV, which we'll go into as inverse fall, which had basically went away. It's almost like the Nats losing Bryce Harper and still making the World Series. VIX ETPs, to be able to pull this off without XIV, or SVXY for that matter, is a pretty impressive feat. So I thought this is a good year to talk about it, uh, or a good time to talk about it. Um, and we have never gone into this area. We, we flick at it sometimes with Mike Venuto. We had him on because VIX ETPs are always in the conversation of how to hedge a portfolio. They are one way. Um, and he talked about that a little bit. But I thought, let's just go and do a primer on this area. So Let's go full VIX. We'll go full VIX. And we have the perfect two people yeah, so for who's the discussion. Joining us? We have Luke Kawa from Bloomberg News, who I think probably covers VIX the most and the best. I mean, am I wrong? I, I, I'll leave that to you. I can't, <laughs> I can't give myself as ring a, a self-endorsement as you, but I'll, okay, I'll say it. it. Thank you. I just feel like when I see a good vol article, it's Luke's name there. Um, Welcome back to the show. He's been on before. Yes, he had the... He, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm he was still, in Ticker Madness, oh, and, he, still, and he picked Boone, which is now gone. It got replaced by a clean energy. Uh, yeah, it, it was good while it lasted. I'm still bitter about uh, about the judging that you were year. Unceremoniously kicked out. First round first exit. First round. Yep. Bounce. And we have Greg King, who is now with Microsectors, which we'll go into in a bit. That's his new venture. But Greg is pretty much like the George Washington of VIX ETPs. He was at Barclays back when they started VXX. That was the first one. So Greg, in a way, invented the VIX ETP and the ETN. Um, him and Nick Cherney, who went off, and they both started Velocity Shares, which ultimately Nick is still with, Janice bought, and that's where XIV was from. So you literally couldn't have a more perfect person to go through Vixie TPs and the background. This time on Trillions, volatility and ETNs. Greg, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Eric. So, Greg, you've been doing this for about 10 years. What What was the inception moment? Why did you think that the world needs... ETNs. So if you go back to 2009 when we launched, that was actually the third year that we had 
uh, experience building out the iPath platform. You were talking about Barclays, and this is sort of ancient history now, but back then it was a partnership with iShares, which Barclays still owned. That was pre-BlackRock. So the idea for it actually came from the iShares salespeople. They were talking to clients, and you know, VIX had been around for a while as an index, and then there were VIX futures, uh, but nobody created an ETP, and people wanted it basically as a portfolio hedge. We actually got the idea in probably 06 and researched it, looked at it, couldn't really figure out a way to do it in a way that risk was happy with um, until 2009. Oh, those risk people. Yeah. So why couldn't it have been an ETF? Well, it could have been. I mean, our platform was an ETN that was um, essentially born out of the difficulty that uh, comes with putting commodities into 40x structures. A whole nother podcast. We've but, done that before. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Our yeah. listeners are versed. <laughs> yeah. So the ETN actually was, was you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So back then, um, commodities were kind of a hot idea in the investment sector. And how to get them into ETPs was the problem that we were solving with this ETN structure, which, as Eric mentioned, is different than an ETF. So it was a workaround. And the ETN we're talking about is VXX, which came out in 2009. Yep. Um, and Luke, if how would you define the VIX for, say, your mom? So... Basically, the VIX is something that it's, you know, it's called Wall Street's fear gauge. But what it really is, it's a measure of how much investors expect stocks to swing, the S&P 500 to swing over the next month. And you get that by, you know, tallying up the prices of -of out-of-the-money options and kind of making a comparative uh, measure that will give you that. And essentially, you know, your rule of thumb, rule of 16 will be, you know, if the VIX is around 16, that means Wall Street expects moves of 1% in stocks per day uh, over the next month. And in general, the long-term trend has kind of been the rule of thumb. If VIX is around 20 or above 20, people are really scared. People are, you know, hunting for guns and ammo. And below that, you know, generally normal trading conditions, the environment that had prevailed uh, right after the financial crisis is a lot of reason why there's a demand for a product like VXX, just the idea that vol was kind of persistently high. People were worried about hedging this, and this is something that kind of did democratize a little more access to, to vol and to hedging opportunities. And to, add, and to add a little context there, uh, VIX spiked in December and then has been relatively low, but then started to flirt again with uh, the 20s over the summer, right? Yes, essentially the VIX has been, and you know, J.P. Morgan has commented on this recently, making the you know the Vol Fevy index. The VIX has become uh, in the Trump presidency, and since the trade war has kind of picked up and had its ebbs and flows, it's been very sensitive to presidential pronouncements. The kind of the degree of rotation we've had in the markets, you know, a lot of sectors not moving together, not swinging together. The onset of earnings season, which is something that keeps a lid on volatility because, you know, stocks swing for their own reasons and not necessarily all in harmony. That's something that's kind of kept a lid on vol more recently. So the VIX, as Luke described, is basically a measure of something, right? It's this activity of options, which tells you how much uh, volatility people expect stocks to have. You can't invest in that, though. Uh, it's uninvestable, right? So they made futures on the VIX, right? So just explain how the futures on the, on the VIX work. Sure. The, the VIX future is a pretty simple instrument. It's just a strip of futures like in, in any futures contract, uh, you know, one month at a time that are linked to the price of VIX at that point in time. So they'll settle to wherever VIX is trading when they expire. 
And what you have, what you typically see is an upward sloping curve because people think that, you know, volatility in future is going to be a little higher than it is now. That's sort of the, just the general bias. It's, it's interesting. Like in that way, it's volatility is a lot like life. The, uh, the structure of the curve is pretty important when we talk about VIX products, as we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into more lately. But that upward sloping curve, it's like in life, you know when the bad times are here, you know, de- death in the family, divorce, something like that. You know when you're really stuck in it. In those periods, the, the VIX curve will flip on a lot of VIX spikes. You will see front, uh, front month futures trade at a significant premium to second month and further down the road. And it's these kind of relationships and these kind of flips uh, that are part of the investment thesis for a lot of people and these products and a lot of kind of uh, arbitrage opportunities that do present themselves. So VXX comes along. You've got this futures market. What, how do you track it? So with commodities, um, the general exchange-traded product way of of tracking them is essentially to hold a portfolio of T-bills as collateral and then put on a a futures position equivalent to the entire size of that holding and roll that position, right? So roll means because futures contracts have expiry uh, and you don't want to, you know, if you think about corn or something, you don't want to get delivered a bunch of corn because you held on to your futures contract too long. Um, in this case, you just get cashed out to the VIX level, but you don't want to do that. You want this to be a perpetual exposure, so you're sitting there rolling these contracts as they expire. And this essentially is where you get the dangerous part of VXX, is that it's not the VIX itself, it's the futures rolling, right? So VXX is constantly having to roll, and as Luke said, in normal times, that means you're going to sell low and buy high over and over and over, mm-hmm. and that can be 30 40% a year, right? And that's essentially the big danger with holding VXX, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think there's other risks to holding VXX, but that's the big one that impacts performance, right? People are always... But if you think about it, take a step back. It makes perfect sense. Essentially, you are taking a long volatility position, right? And and what that means is you're going to benefit from you know big moves in the market. Um, however, you're not going to... Um, in options, you pay a premium. You don't lose more than that, right? So your, your losses are, are limited. Um, but you have theoretically infinite upside if volatility really goes crazy. So there's a cost, basically, a time cost, theta, to holding this position. It should go down over time because you have this non-normal potential set of returns that you're looking at. Theta, I like that one. We even, I don't think we've <laughs> dropped that one on the podcast before. I, I actually told uh, Luke beforehand to like you know keep, dumb it down a little, and he said, okay, he wouldn't use any Greek term symbols. <laughs> oh, uh, so now, now, that's, now, now, it's, now yeah, that that's off. The dam is broken. Yeah, okay. Um, how many people, when you first came out with it, or in general today, understand that it holds futures and not the actual VIX index? Uh, hard to say. You know, people are still confused by that, I think. Um, but even the futures is not necessarily, um, you know, answer all, all their questions like, oh, it holds VIX futures instead of VIX. Oh, OK, I got it. <laughs> they, you know, there's still a lot to understand. Because when VIX goes up, let's say the VIX index goes up um, 20 well, percent. Let's not even say I know. Let's not even I, quote it in a percent. I know. He can't <laughs> handle this. But if you do do an HCPD, which is a way to look at daily percentage on the terminal, let's say the VIX goes up 20%. VXX will be up like 9% of that 20 now, why is percentage bad when quoting the VIX again? Okay, so it's essentially it's the same reason why we, you know, when the 10-year yield goes from 
you know, 125 to 150%. We don't quote that as a percent of a percent move. It's the same thing with what the VIX is tracking and, you know, your rule of 16 in terms of implied volatility. When the VIX is at 16, we expect that means that, uh, you know, stocks will move on average 1% per day per month. That goes up to 18. That's not really a 16 to 18% increase. I would rather, you know, take the square root and go on and see what the actual change in that. If we reported that as the kind of the percent change in the implied move expected over the next month, that'd be a fine way to use percent for this in- instance. But if not, it's just it's quoting something that doesn't exist and isn't even traded, can't be traded, and even in the forms in which it's been made tradable, isn't really applicable. All right, so um, let's say VIX goes up, and this is the jackpot potential we talk about when we write about VXX and why it's. In a way, critic proof, because if you look at the reviews of VXX, especially in the retail media, they're like, oh, don't touch this thing. It's because it goes down. It's basically down 99% since it came out, right? Always loses money long term. But when it works, boy, does it work, right? So let's say the market's down 3%, like it happened in August. Uh, VIX spikes. VXX might go up 10%, right? 12%, maybe even more, right? And that would be more than even a, neg- a triple leveraged inverse S&P. So like kind of nothing goes up quite like a VIX ETP on those days. Are people buying them to capture that day or are they just sort of holding it to hedge their portfolio for a longer period? So that was the initial concept, right? Exactly that. People would hold this thing when they needed to, to hedge out market risk. Um, But there you have major timing issues, right? It costs money to be wrong on timing. Um, And then you have sort of uh, position sizing issues. You don't know exactly how much you need because you don't know exactly how much VIX is going to spike. Um, So... So all of these dynamics, and maybe I'm preempting your, your next kind of where you're going, but led to people looking at the opposite trade, right? The short side. Recently, activity that we have seen with regards to flows into the long VIX complex, it, it does look to be being used as more kind of an op- opportunistic timing vehicle, a.k.a. as volatility has retreated recently during earnings season and you know, stocks making a, a renewed push towards all-time highs, JP Morgan's flagged that you have had a large amount of flows into these long vol products. And yet what this does do or what this does signal is that, yes, people are trying to use this opportunistically positioning for the spike, but that when the spike happens, they're likely to monetize. And so what does that do? That's selling pressure that kind of puts a lid on the spike. So it's got it's a two-way effect, and it's a nice kind of self-regulating feedback uh, loop when people do use these appropriately. Yeah, I always see um, VIX ETPs, like the guy selling the umbrellas outside of Penn Station when it's raining. Um, mm. Everybody just, the volume on them like triples on a bad day. I mean, clearly everybody's like hitting those, like it's like a frenzy. Mm. It's like a feeding frenzy. And it's because they go up way more than anything else. I mean, they're, you don't, you get, you just don't get that kind of juice elsewhere. And is this part of the reason why VXX tracks the short end of the curve, right, which is closest to the actual VIX? There are other products that track the whole, all the futures or the middle part of the curve, but people tend to not really want those. Is that because they don't pop as much, but yet you don't lose as much long term if you hold those? Yeah, that's right. Generally speaking, so you have VXX and VXZ, right? And um, tell you a quick story. We had, uh, like I said, started in 06 on this idea for VXX, and our uh, I came from Barclays, and our team was focused on the front end of the curve, and that would be the most tradable. Um, in 08, Barclays essentially bought what was what was left of Lehman, right, um, which included a team that was also working on a VIX uh, ETN, as it turned out, 
right? So we got together and debated ideas, and they liked the the midterm kind of concept. And we thought, well, that doesn't have enough juice for people. They're not going to be as interested. But their point was, you know, it's going to have less decay over time. So we said, why don't we launch them both and see what happens? And initially, actually, there was a... um, there was a lot of interest in the VXC because I think some of the more um, buy and hold type crowd viewed it as a portfolio hedge that they could sustain for longer periods of time. Uh, eventually, most of the interest moved to the front end of the curve, I think, just because you know it's an unusual instrument. And if you're going to tie up parts of your portfolio to hedge, you kind of want the most bang for your buck. It's not like you're putting big chunks of your portfolio in this. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So talk to me a little bit about when you're talking to investors about how they're using the product. And we talked about hedging a little bit here. Like how are, especially institutional investors, how are they touching this, this product? And, and how long are they holding it for? And... And uh, at you know what what percentage of the portfolio typically are they exposing to it? So I think it's safe to say across the years and across the different types of clients, you really get a little bit of everything. Um, I would say that the institutions these days um, that are uh, trading these products have a a vol focus or some aspect of their portfolio management includes. Uh, trading in options or volatility in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, so they're, they're they're fluent in the waters, basically. Yeah, they 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 know what they're doing. They're using it in specific ways for specific strategies. And then there's a whole contingent that are uh, doing arbitrage, right, among VIX-related instruments, whether they're ETPs or futures, options, and even the S and P. And let me give you a number here. So VXX currently has 860 million, but it trades about 600 million a day. So almost 100% of the assets are turned over. So in our view, this is the right way this should be used as a hot potato. Right. USO, and there's some others sometimes that have roll costs that track commodities where they don't, you can see they're not traded that much and you wonder, are people not getting what to do here? But high turnover, this turnover would be scary if it was a Vanguard ETF, but it's good here. Uh, because people are using it short term. And just one quick thing before we go to the inverse fall, to get into ETFs versus ETNs, I just want to go back about 10 years ago-ish. I was in data covering this, and our job was to put the ETFs on the terminal. And you come along and you're like, we got this ETN thing, and it's like half note, half ETF, half, half, it was like half bond, half equity. And you guys pushed to put, on the, put it on the equity key. And we had some higher up saying, no, it's a bond. It should be on the fixed income key. It was the right call. Yeah. I mean, you guys got it on equity. It's a little higher profile. Yeah. But ultimately, this speaks to the credit risk of an ETN. Can you talk about that? And also, Lehman had one, and they went bankrupt, and people Mm. didn't get all their money, although there wasn't much assets in it. Right, right. So ETNs are an obligation issued by a bank, right? And they have to be a certain tier bank. So that's why you don't see sort of regional banks issuing ETNs. Uh, there are significant requirements. And the sort of pro and con of the ETN is that the prospectus defines exactly what you're going to get, right? So if it's linked to an index, you have a formula. It's, you know, sometimes an ugly formula, but it's there and you can work out exactly what the ETN is going to pay out. The difference with an ETF is that you're going to get what you get. You know, hopefully the manager knows what he or she is doing and tracks the index, maybe even outperforms. Um, but at the end of the day, if there is a mistake made and it goes against you, sorry, the, you know, those are the results. So 
um, the the pro for the ETN there is, you know, the bank mistracks the index. That's their problem, not yours, um, in terms of the, you know, NAV of the product. Um, but the con is you're reliant on them to do it. So, in other words, it's credit risk. And if the bank goes away, then you're standing in line like all the other creditors. There's also the tax issue because most ETN assets right now, uh, people might choose the ETF if they had a equal, if it's all, all else equal, but... ETNs that, um, if it's futures, you get taxed a little differently if you actually hold them, whereas an ETN, you don't actually hold them and you get taxed, I guess, normally, right? That's another big reason people would go to the ETN if there was an equivalent ETF. Yeah, there's definitely tax differences. And in my experience, I found people were not as concerned with that, especially with these trading products where there's a short-term time period. But there are definitely tax uh, differences depending on the asset class too. MLPs is one. We're not talking about that today, but it's totally different with ETNs and ETFs. So we brought up uh, inverse volatility briefly. Let's come back to it. What is that? So back to the idea that going long VIX or volatility costs you something. Uh, you know, people started to say, "Well, wait a second. If I go short, do I just you know harvest those benefits?" And the short answer is yes. Right. So you can it's the same as selling options. You can receive option premium and just, you know, cross your fingers and hope that those options expire worthless. You don't have to pay anything. That's great. You know, a great way to make a living uh, until it's not right. And um, something happens, you have to pay out. So the short volatility trade expressed through VIX ETPs is essentially that. Um, just using the VIX index and the futures on it as a proxy for the overall volatility market. And how popular has that been from a flow standpoint? It's been real popular. Um, inverse products were launched, I think, in 2010 for the first time. Uh, Velocity shares were launched XIV, and there have been some others uh, by ProShares, et cetera. Um, but also, and th- this is more difficult to calibrate, You know, there's a certain proportion of the long products that are actually just held uh, for the short side. Um, so they're, they're, they're held by dealers as inventory who lend them out to people who are shorting. So it's, it's hard to understand exactly what the numbers are. But certainly the last several years before you know, February of 2018, uh, the, the short ball trade was, was getting pretty popular. And, and why people would choose to short a long ball ETF rather than hold a short ball ETF will become pretty clear as we continue this conversation. Because of, uh, as Greg said, we're kind of, we are in the prospectus and some of the so-called acceleration events where you can have a short vol product go to zero in a day, well, that risk doesn't necessarily exist in the same fashion if you're just shorting a long vol ETF. So it kind of takes some doomsday out of it, but you know, still doomsday when it happens. So let's well, talk- actually, there's a, the opposite risk. I mean, not opposite really, but it, it, it's a continuation of the risk, right? Because if you're shorting VXX and it goes to infinity, then they, you know, they're going to call you up and say, hey, can you kindly wire us a few more <laughs> dollars? Um, whereas a, if you're long an inverse product, then yeah, it can go to zero. But it, if it goes to negative numbers, they don't call you up and, and ask for that. Um, let's talk about XIV. I have a chart here showing, I guess, November 2010 it came out. And then up until the end of 2017, it returned 1,300%. Sound about right? Sounds about right. So this is... This has always been described as picking up nickels in front of a steamroller, but this is more like $5 bills Uh, because the Fed had made volatility low, the market was great, and it just worked and worked until it didn't. Now, Luke, take us through uh, that fateful day in February of 2018. 
So, so this is fun. And to kind of look at the backdrop, 2017 was pretty much the most tranquil year for stocks on record that you could imagine. And yet, if you looked at the VIX futures curve, so the spread between that first month and second month, that dynamic you were describing earlier where long VIX ETFs are essentially, you know, uh, buying high and selling low, that's working uh, in the complete opposite direction for shortfall ETFs. There was still a pretty nice contango there, and yet realized volatility was sinking lower and lower and lower. So you were making money on both Greeks. You were making money on your delta, and you were making money on your theta. What happened in the run-up in, in 2018, in early 2018, was that volatility got so low, you know, around to a 10 level on the VIX or even below. And at the same time, the shape of that VIX futures curve, it was very slim in terms of the the front month to second month contango. So your delta possibility of it going even lower, of all going even lower, probably you know not great and at the same time the traditional kind of decay money you're picking up from the structure of the vix futures curve no longer as supportive and yet people still loved it and we're flooding into the product which brings us to february 2nd we have a, a pretty hot non-farms payroll report and you know people start getting worried about inflation people start getting worried about the bond market yield sell off there's a new fed share Oh yeah. Oh geez, that was yeah that long ago. But uh, yeah, we we've got Jay Powell wondering if he's going to be uh, more hawkish. Big sell off that day on a Friday, that inverted the VIX uh, futures curve, and you know some folks took that as okay, it, it's time to get out, it's time to sell, it's time to be worried. Selling continues on that Monday, February 5th, which, uh, you know, Eric was, who knows what Eric was doing then, but he was not in the office when he was needed, uh, let, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. And so at about, uh, I think at about 2, two or 3 p.m., what happened was SVIXI, was, uh, which is another shortfall ETF, ETF, was briefly halted. And what happened at that time was it's almost like people and, and dealers and anyone who was hedging realized, oh, my word. The amount of this VIX spike and ensuing action we're going to get in futures, how much I think stocks should sell off for this move, this has not been adequately priced in at all. It's like a damn burst, and stocks started tumbling very hard. And because of the way that uh, these products are structured, the VIX spike, lower stocks, meant that from you know, 4 to 4.15 in their rebalancing activity, there is going to be a heavy, heavy, heavy amount to buy that's going to push volatility up further. So it it's essentially gets to be a point where people are front-running something they know is going to happen in terms of a VIX spike because of the, the mechanism and the popularity of these products that continuing to get out of it, ahead of itself and cycle and cycle and cycle. And so what ended up happening is XIV had an acceleration event, which was very well defined in the prospectus. In that, you know, if the indicative value of the product was down by, I think, uh, you know, more than sixty percent in a day, lost at least sixty percent in the day, that it would be you know possible and within the uh, the issuer's rights to just close up the note, and that's what happened. First of all, I was off that day because the Eagles had won the Super Bowl the day before, and I purposely <laughs> took off to watch all the sports shows and just like revel in it. Plus, I was out late. And I got a call from Luke at like three thirty. I remember I was in my I went to with my wife to pick up my kid from school and I was in the passenger seat. He's like, What's going on with XIV? I'm like, What do you mean? He's like, It's it's crapped out. I'm like, Oh no. And that use the technical term. Yeah, I think that was uh, something like that. Um it was much more sophisticated. Um and the whole week I remember it was like a big deal. It was like in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. Now, XIV only had about eight hundred million dollars, maybe close to a billion. It wasn't a ton of money, but it 
XIV was like the tip of an iceberg of a larger trade. A lot of people mm. were short vol just doing it the regular way without the ETP, right? And this is sort of everybody, it was an easy trade that got crowded and blew up basically. And Greg, what were you doing? I was sitting in my office and, and we were watching it too. We had some small VIX funds at my new shop, Rex Shares, um, and we were definitely paying attention to what was going on. But, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I guess semi proud to say it, I bought volatility. Uh, you know, the um, I, I should say I bought the inverse volatility um, fund, our fund that afternoon because I thought this thing was overdone. What happened between four and four fifteen, I think, was at least for me and a lot of market participants that were watching the space, really kind of the nail in the coffin of wow, this thing really got away from everyone, um, which it obviously never happened before. Even though moves of that size had happened before. How often do you eat your own cooking like that? <laughs> Why cook unless you're willing to eat it? Um, so, from time to time. And so, obviously, this was a big a big event. We quickly, I had this idea for a rating system for ETFs anyway, like movies. So, we quickly pushed this out. All these get like a red light, uh, sort of leveraged. Um, but this got calls for like, should ETFs, should, should these be like not allowed? And it seems like it's all kind of died down. It does seem, though, that the short vol complex pretty much, you know, kind of got neutered, right? SVXY went to, what, half uh, inverse, so it's not quite the same trade. Mm -hmm. And then ZIV still exists, which is shorting the middle of the curve. But it's interesting. Nobody wants these products. Like, they've made decent money, but nobody cares. Like, it it was like they just don't have enough. Is it this juice issue again? It must be. You know, I don't don't understand why that is i i think products like ziv for example are are great i mean it's it's a more conservative approach but you know it's less likely to to have one of those events and luke um you're on twitter a lot as i am can you talk a little bit about the the twitter sort of outrage but then also the sort of mixed emotions people have about xiv not not being there and and now i I even put a pull out like half the people seem to want a new one back can you just talk about the what people out there uh, felt about XIV. So people on the internet, people who are extremely online, absolutely loved XIV. If you went to our Wall Street bets, like the the subreddit for you know essentially pajama traders, they all loved this thing. They were all you know very crazy long, long and holding XIV like you know you shouldn't be, but apparently too many people were, and the thirst is still there because I. I think people are just very much attracted to that shiny object, to the kind of democratization of the vol space. I think it also, you know, makes a lot of sense in a very low yield environment that this, you know, was for a long time a reliable source of, of carry until it wasn't. And like the the question I would have for for Greg on this is then, you know, if XIV were to be revived or launched in another form today, do you think? What steps would be needed, do you think, to appease regulators, or could you just do it in the same form? I, to my knowledge, some you know, a bank could just issue another XIV tomorrow if they wanted to. I don't think there's anything to to stop that. I think what's happened is back to the risk people we were talking about at the beginning. Um, you know, so, something is a, a three sigma, six sigma event until until one of those happens, and then all of a sudden you move your you know your Goal volatility, your <laughs> volatility around, and so this this couldn't happen until it did. Now it can, so you got to think about that when you're creating new products. And I think that's why the existing products were levered down. I know that uh, prime brokers, you know, increased limits on margins and things. So it all kind of cascades through. 
Um, you know, back to 87, that crash, you know, people still refer to that because it's the biggest move we had. Uh, but if that had never happened, we'd be referring to something, you know, half the size and scaling everything down. And, and we might not have exchange traded products. Um, and just one thing on XIV, which is interesting. Uh, we look, uh, XIV uh, made more money for people than it lost. Like on that day, it might have lost $800 million, which was what was in it. But over the years, it saw a couple of billion in outflows, meaning that people were taking their profits over and over, which is sort of what you should do. Not saying everybody did that, but that is an interesting point. On the flip, VXX has about $800 million, but it's taken in about $7 billion worth of flows in its lifetime. But that's, I guess, arguably more like you're buying insurance. Yeah, but. The, the cheeky, the cheeky argument to make is that uh, VXX as a buy and hold has lost you more than XIV, even though XIV closed easily. If you bought and held both, yeah. But the idea of XIV though was that you would take profits and not just hold it like and be like naive that it would go up forever. But again, I think that's there was an article in the New York Times about a target manager doing the short vol trade, and I think that's when it got labeled as okay, grandma's in this, even though. That might have not been a small... And it still ran for months and months after that. And surprisingly, Seth Golden, I still, he's our target manager. I still talk to him really? often. He is still trading and in trading options. He, so he, he, was, he got over it. He was like, yeah, it was fine. Oh, I'm good. Merely a flesh yeah. wound. <laughs> <laughs> so bring us up to speed on what you're doing now. So I started a firm called RexShares. You referred to microsectors, which is uh, one of our product lines. We, we do um, leverage sector plays. So we have a, a product with uh, the NYSC that's linked to FANG stocks. So people love trading FANG stocks, and they're kind of a pure play on tech, uh, three times levered. FNGU fungu, which apparently I'm not supposed to say on the air because it sounds like some you know bad phrase in Italian or something, um, <laughs> but FNGU is is like our main product, and then we've got a, a number of different sector plays. All the, the one is fanged, numbers. fanged, FNGD, which I think will have its day in the sun because the fang trade. Um, I mean, it's not totally great now, but it's been so good for so long. This is triple leveraged fang plus Tesla. Um, uh, some other uh, Baidu, Alibaba, Alibaba. yeah, uh, Twitter, and basically all the companies that have led this market, like the tip yeah. of the spear of tech, in a way, it just isolates those. Yeah. To be clear, that one you're talking about is the inverse, yeah. right? So that's FNGU what I'm saying. is the is up, and right. FNGD is the down. Um, I, I just think FNGD is one of those that will have its day, because uh, obviously these stocks are up so much in the past ten years. Greg King, Luke Kawa, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Always a pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can follow Luke at L-J-K-A-W-A. And you can follow Greg at M Sectors. Trillions is produced by Magnus Henriksen. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.